my name is Jeremy Sullivan. I'm from Batesville, Arkansas, and it's been a real pleasure to be part of your church this weekend. Um, in the last couple of days, I, I think I've seen enough to tell you that you just have a great youth minister. You got a bunch of great folks in your church that volunteer to serve students. You got a great youth group, um, and you are clearly a church that cares about students. Not everybody does, <laughs> but you do. You are clearly a church that cares about students, and so I just want to commend you for that. Also, Andy and the band, they have done a great job this weekend. They're from Mississippi, you know, and Mississippi folks don't spell very well. You know that, right? We can talk because they left. I don't know where they went. They probably can't hear me, though. You know, their state, le- their state is 11 letters long, and it uses four different letters. It's like the person that started Mississippi started spelling, and they're like, what other letter do you want to put in there? And they're like, let's just use another S, put another I in. But they've done a great job other than that. Hopefully, some of you must be from Mississippi because you're looking at me like, don't be talking like that. It's okay. Um, if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I want to talk to you this morning about something that is very dear to the heart of God, and it should be very dear to our hearts also, and that's the church. I want to talk to you about the church. I think the way we talk about the church oftentimes is wrong. We say things, think about the questions we ask. We say things like, how was church today? How was church today? Or, what do you think about that church over there? What do you think about, if you were to ask that question to one of the Christians in the New Testament, it would be completely foreign to them. If you said, how was church? They would say, huh? If you looked at the Apostle Paul and you said, hey Paul, how was church today? He would say, what are you talking about right now? See, the problem is we tend to define church as simply an event that happens on Sunday when the church is something much bigger and much more beautiful than that. The church is the redeemed people of God. It is the body of Christ in the world. It is the family of God. It is the redeemed, beloved missionary force of God in the world. It is his very sons and daughters. It's so much bigger than this thing that happens on Sunday, isn't it? Now, I love this thing that happens on Sunday. I love getting together with the saints and worshiping and opening the word of God together. But if that's the only way we talk about the church, then we forget what it is. And I think all of us are prone to forget what it is from time to time. All of us are prone to approach the church with a very consumer mentality, you know. Like we're shopping at one of our favorite stores. We go in and we ask, do they have the thing I like over here? And do they have the need I need over here? And all these kind of things. Instead of... What can I do to be part of this thing that God has invited me into? What does God, what, what role does God want me to play in this thing? And so we're going to look at this passage in 1 Corinthians um, chapter 1, verses 2 through 9. And I think it can teach us a lot about what the church is. Before we read it, though, I want to tell you a little bit about the church at Corinth. This is where Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. The church at Corinth, just to sum it up, they were um, really messed up people, Right? really messed up people. Some of the things he'll address later in the book are, are Lord's Supper issues. They would get together for the Lord's Supper, and some people would get completely drunk and just gorge themselves with food, and other people wouldn't get anything at all. This would happen regularly. They had divisions regarding leaders. They, would, they, were, they were in factions, you know, well, I'm of this guy, or I'm of this guy. I like this guy better. Um, they, there were lawsuits among believers. <laughs> they were suing each other. The redeemed people of God, the forgiven children of God, the ones brought into the family of God would go and sue each other in pagan courts. 
They had this spiritual gift craziness. God had given them some gifts, and then they had just sort of hijacked those things and, and made them things that they weren't and looked at it all wrong. And there was sexual immorality in their church that would make the pagans blush. This is why Paul describes it. He says, I've, I've heard reports about things that the pagans don't even do. They don't even engage in the stuff you guys are engaging in. So, so this is the church at Corinth. So now imagine what it must have been like when they received Paul's letter. Before they read it, imagine what, it must ha- what you must have thought if you were there, particularly if you weren't one of the leaders in that church. <laughs> hey, we got a letter from the Apostle Paul, everybody. You know what's been going on. <laughs> you would have been sweating bullets, wouldn't you have? It was like your report card came in the mail and you knew that you had failed every class and you're going to open that thing. You would have been just a nervous wreck. So somebody stands up. They start to read this letter to the church. And then this is what they read. Let's start in verse, well, just start in verse 1. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosenes, or however you say his name, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him, in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into fellowship, into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. That isn't what you would expect if you were the church at Corinth, is it? How can Paul say all of these things to that church? Did he forget who he was writing to for a minute? Because all those things we talked about earlier were true of them. Those things were happening there. If you were Paul's assistant, he might have started, you know, telling you what he was wanting you to write down in the letter to send to the church at Corinth. And you might look over at him and say, Paul, this is to the church at Corinth, right? The Corinthians, you know, the you know, right? Wouldn't you think that? Knowing what we know about them, how is it that this is how the letter to them is started? You see, Paul didn't say these things to them. God didn't say these things to them because of what they had done. God said these things to them because of what Jesus had done. The church at Corinth were a people who had received grace. They were a people who were no longer being graded by their report card, but by Jesus' report card. And so this is why he can sincerely and truly, he's not putting on or buttering them up or anything. This is why he can sincerely say these things to them. I thank my God when I think about you because of the grace you've received in Jesus Christ. You have been set apart. You are saints. They were people who had received grace. Look at verses 2 through 4 again. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. This is their new identity in Christ. He calls them sanctified and then saints. These are similar words. Sanctified means to be set apart. The word saints, it just means holy ones. It's the most common designation for Christians in the New Testament. You are set apart, holy ones. Those people that had done everything we talked about in the beginning, Lord's Supper, division, lawsuits, spiritual gift craziness, sexual immorality, these people God refers to as set apart and holy (laughs) saints. There was a gap, you see, between who God said they were and who they seemed to be. They had a bit of an identity crisis. They were now in Jesus. They'd been given a new identity But practically, they were still living out of their old identity. They were still being sanctified, uh, becoming who God has called them to be. But there was this gap between what God said about them and what was happening in their lives. And the same is true for us. The same is true for us. None of us are what God has intended us to be fully. None of us are fully who God has has made us. None of us are what we ought to be. There's always this gap between who the Lord says we are if we are in Christ and who we are living out day in and day out. So whenever somebody says to you, um, you know, I don't want to go to church because there's a lot of hypocrites in the church, you can say to them, you are exactly right. You are exactly right. The church, in fact, is exclusively hypocrites. The church is made up of people who are not living out fully what they know to be true in Christ. We are not living fully up to God's standard for us. We are not people who deserve the grace of God. We are not people whose lives are fully reflecting the grace and mercy and love that we've been shown. The church is absolutely full of hypocrites. Thank God he loves us anyway. Thank God for his grace anyway. Thank God for his goodness, even when I don't have a whole lot of goodness of my own. You see, the church is deeply flawed, but greatly loved. And that's true of this church. That's true of the church where I'm a pastor. Deeply flawed, but greatly loved by God. I love what one pastor in Nashville says. His name is Ray Ortland. Pastors a church called Emmanuel. And he says they have a mantra around their church called the Emmanuel Mantra, and this is it. We are total idiots, but our future is incredibly bright, and anyone can get in on this. (laughs) That's honest, isn't it? We are total idiots, sinners, fools apart from Christ, but our future is incredibly bright because of the promises of God, and anyone can get in on it. Anyone can come into the family of God because of Jesus. You see, all of this points back to grace. The Corinthians were not in the church. These believers had not been brought into the family of God because they deserved it. They had been brought into the family of God by the grace of Jesus. So now, in your church, you can point to anything good anywhere in the church. If there's something that you would say, that is good, you can point to that thing and say, that is because of the grace of God. That is because of the kindness of Jesus. It's not because of our worth or our merit or our intellect or our morality or anything like that. It's because of the grace of Jesus. See, the Corinthians, as messed up as they were, 
They were the kinds of people that God extends his grace to. We are the kinds of people that God extends his grace to. But not only are we the kinds of people that God extends his grace to, they and us are the kinds of people that God will use to extend his grace through, to take his grace to the world. See, these weren't just people who received grace. These were people now who had been brought into the ministry of the gospel, people who had been brought into the ministry of what the Lord had been doing in the world. And the same is true for us. Look at verses 5 through 7 again. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. God has given his grace to the church, and God has given his gifts to the church. So as we read this, the question we should ask is, gifted for what? What has God gifted for? Enriched for what? They'd been enriched in every way. Why were they enriched? Why had God given them these gifts? I don't hear this as much anymore, but used to, I would hear people talk about spiritual gifts um, almost the way you would talk about a zodiac sign or something like that. People would take a spiritual gifts inventory and then they would say, oh, well, I have the gift of mercy or I have the gift of discernment. Let me correct you because I have the gift of discernment. (laughs) Let my opinion count more in this conversation because I have been given the gift of discernment as though the point were simply to categorize the gifts and then label them and then be able to wear a badge that says this is the gift I have. That's not the point of spiritual gifts. The spiritual gifts, the, the point is not to label them and categorize them. The point is to use them. That's the point of gifts. God gives gifts to the church so that we might use them for his glory, for the good of our neighbors, and for his mission in the world, to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is why God has gifted the church. God has equipped the church to do everything he's called it to do. God will not call you to do anything that he will not equip you to do also. But there's a problem, isn't there? You ever been to Walmart? And um, especially like a super center at Walmart, and they'll have, you know, dozens of cash registers down through there. And there's a big crowd, and there's two people at cash registers. You ever seen that? That's more frustrating than if they only had two cash registers. If they only had two, you would think, well, they should put more cash registers in here, but, you know, what do you do? But when you walk in there and you see like 140 empty cash registers, and there's two, and you're standing in line... Aren't you standing at your buggy, like, looking around? You're leaning around the people in front of you, looking around. Somebody else going to come help? <laughs> somebody, maybe somebody could work one of these registers. <laughs> or, or have you been to um, a fast food restaurant? McDonald's happens at McDonald's all the time. You go to the fast food restaurant, and behind the counter, there's 15 people walking around. You look back there where the food is being cooked, and there's just a whole slew of people. And there's one person taking orders you're in a hurry, you know, (laughs) you're just like, maybe one of the rest of you could come from behind, and I would never say that, that would be really mean, but in your mind, you're thinking it, maybe one of y'all could come and work these registers also, see, it isn't enough just to have the registers, it isn't enough just to have the people behind the counter, they have to be doing something, they have to engage, don't they? God has given his body all of the gifts that we need to do everything that he has called us to do. But there are a lot of people in his body, in in our local body in Batesville, and I would suspect 
probably here too if you're like most every other church I know. There are a lot of people that are not manning a register, that are not serving, that aren't helping. If, if when Baptist Church is going to do all of the things in your neighborhood and in our state and country and world that God has put you here to do, then it's going to take all of you. It's going to take everyone using the gifts that God has given you. It's going to take the whole body. And so one of the things I was trying to stress to the teenagers yesterday, and I just stressed to you today, God has called you. He has called you to serve him. I grew up in church. My grandmother used to come by and pick us up and uh, take us. She had a station wagon. I'm 36, so this was 30 you know, years ago or more. Um, things were different then, right? She would pick us up in the station wagon. We would, of course, go and lay down in the back of the station wagon, not buckled up, because that's what you do if you're a little kid, and it's 30 years ago. <laughs> I don't even know if the car had seatbelts in it or not. we just go lay down in the back. Um, <laughs> she would take us to church, and um, at church as a little kid, like a lot of little kids who grew up in church, I always remember thinking, our pastor is a real weird guy. you just real weird, you know? There's all of us normal people sitting out here in this part, and then there was the abnormal person on the stage that like did the stuff that the church was supposed to do. We put money in the offering plate, um, and he did the stuff. That was my view, right? And then periodically, some really weird people would come in there. You know what we called them? Missionaries. They would come in there, and I would sit there, and I'd think, man, these people are really serious about this thing. They moved to another country, you know, to, <laughs> to serve God. Um, and again, I thought, you know, okay, so our part is we need to give money so that they can go and do their thing. They can go and do their stuff. Later on, I started reading the Bible when I, you know, got older. And as I read the Bible, I saw that the way I thought about the church was completely wrong. The church is not divided up between called people and, you know, offering givers. It's not divided up between professional ministers and missionaries and then all the rest of us. God has called his entire body to his mission. God has called every single one of you. He's called every single one of those students that were here for D-Now this weekend. He has put a specific call on your life to serve him. And if you're part of Wynn Baptist Church, that means he's put a call on your life to be part of this body and serve here to be part of this body and help fulfill the mission that he's given this church. Nobody sits it out. Last night we talked about uh, Hebrews chapter 12, and the author of Hebrews says, let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Every one of you have a race set before you. Every one of you. And, and since you're here today, that means that your race is not over. That means that your race was not years ago. Your race was not back when you were younger, and now you're on the sidelines cheering on the people in the race. <laughs> no, we're, you're part of this now. I'm part of this now. God has called you to serve. He has he's gifted us. So, so the church has received grace. The church has received gifts to serve. And then one last thing. The church has received a guarantee from our Lord. Look at verse 7 again. So that you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Again, 
remember who these words were written to. Remember these people. Remember how dysfunctional and how messed up and how off the rails they were and how far they had to go in some areas in their life and how much more sanctification they still needed and how much more they needed to understand what it meant to be holy and how much more sin they had to repent of and put to death in their life. Remember all of that stuff. And God says to them through Paul that he will sustain them to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. These people could stand and sing dressed in his righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. It would be true of them. Isn't this remarkable? Because of God's faithfulness, verse 9. Not because you're good, Corinthians. You people are messed up and need to repent still. You need to get your act together. You know, I'm a, I mean, I'm a pastor, so I try to be very pastoral. My my counsel lately to people, if I'm close to them, if it's a person I don't know well, I don't say this to them, but if I'm close to them, my counsel to them has been twofold. God loves you. God loves you. Your identity should be found in him. So God loves you. That's number one. Number two, my counsel is stop doing dumb things. Just stop it. (laughs) Stop doing dumb stuff. Well, the same would be true for the Corinthians, this is who they are. And yet the Lord says to them, I will sustain you to the end. You will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ because God is faithful and he is the one that has called you into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So here's what that means. I want to point out what it means theologically and then what it means, and I I hate to use this word, but practically. Theology is practical. What I mean is theology and application. So theologically, this means that we are justified now. Justified. That mean, that's the word the Bible uses. It means that we have been declared righteous by God in spite of the fact that we are not living perfectly righteous lives. Every person who's put their faith in the Lord Jesus has been justified. The judge of the universe has made a declaration about them that you are no longer guilty because Jesus has paid your debt. You are no longer identified Um, as a sinner, no longer identified as one separated from God and under the wrath of God, but now your primary identity is son or daughter of God, justified and eternally secure. God is faithful. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. This is what he's saying. Or he who began a good work in you will certainly see it through to completion. This is what he's saying there. You will be guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will sustain you to the end. And it's all because of the cross of Jesus. Because of the cross of Jesus, the guilty can become the guiltless. The dirty can become those who are washed clean. The defiled can be those who are brought in and made new, right? The dead can be made alive through Jesus because God is a good father. He won't disown his own children. If he's called you, he will keep you. So what does that mean day-to-day, though? How do you take that theological truth and and live it out in the day-to-day? Practically, it means you don't have to spend your whole life wondering if you're good enough. If you know Jesus, you do not have to spend your whole life wondering if you're good enough. You don't have to spend your whole life hoping that in the end, your report card will be good enough. Hoping that in the end, the good side of the scale 
will outweigh the bad side of the scale. Not if you're in Jesus, because God has said something about you already. He's made a promise, a guarantee. He will sustain you to the end. It means that you can drop the weight of performance and be who God has made you to be. You don't have to spend your whole life trying to impress God. You can now spend your life having intimacy with God, trusting Him and walking with Him and listening to Him and getting to know Him and believe in Him and obeying Him. You can do that now instead of wondering, God, am I okay with you? Are we okay? Because of the cross of Jesus. It means you can live a life of security now. Security changes everything. This is what I know about us. You can only be fully you in the presence of someone who fully accepts you, right? If you are around someone that you know loves you, that you know cares for you, that you know is for you, if the relationship is not yet to be determined or something, you know it's settled. This person loves me, I love them, they care for me, I care for them, I'm for them, they're not on trial. If you're in that kind of person's presence, then you can just be you, can't you? You, can, you don't have to try to hide anything. You can let the eccentricities out. You can, you know, let the kind of weird stuff that's part of who you are out. You can let people see that if you know them. But if you're in the presence of someone where the relationship is, is uncertain, you're not sure what they think about you. You're not sure if they're for you. You're not sure if, you know, you're trying to feel them out and all that kind of stuff. You're always going to be a little bit reserved, aren't you? You're always going to kind of tread lightly you're going to sort of hold back a little bit. What if they think I'm unusual? What if they think I'm, you know, weird or something like that? You can't do it. But again, in the presence of somebody who loves you, in the presence of somebody who said this is settled, then you're just free to be you. Well, this is the way it is when you understand that in Christ, your identity is settled, that in Christ, he will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Then you're just free to be who God made you to be. You're free to not worry about what other people think. You're free to worry, you know, not worry about impressing people anymore or trying to put your best foot forward or something like that. You can just be who God has made you to be. You can just embrace the identity he's given you. You can use the gifts he's given you. You can be who you are. Security changes everything. God has given his church grace. That's why we're here. None of us are here because we deserve it. None of us earned our way in. None of us merited a spot at God's table. We were brought in by grace, and he's given us gifts. He's equipped you, and he's called you, and you have a race to run. You have a part to play in God's kingdom. He told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You have a part to play in that. You pray that, and then you go out and see how the Lord might use you to be part of that, and he's given us a guarantee that he's, he's never going to leave us or forsake us. He will sustain us to the end. If you are his, you will stand before God and he will welcome you in because of Jesus Christ. So we, the church, we are deeply flawed. We may as well own that. But we're greatly loved and our future is incredibly bright because of the promises of God. And in the meantime, God has given us everything that we need. Here in a moment, we're going to pray together and then there's going to be a time of invitation. I just... I want to invite you, if you don't know Jesus, if you hear this and you think, that's, I just don't know if that's true of me or not. I don't know. I don't have a confidence that I will stand before God guiltless. 
I don't know that I've received the grace of Jesus. I don't know that I've trusted in Jesus. There are going to be some of your pastors at the front. They would love to talk with you about that. They would love to pray with you about that, to, to, to listen to you and help you. Um, if you are a believer and you're here, and maybe God has just stirred your heart to get back in the race. God has stirred your heart to use the gifts that he's given you and to engage in his mission in the world. Engage your neighbors, engage here in the church, engage elsewhere. And you want somebody to help you think through that and, and, and plug in somewhere. They'd love to talk to you about that too. Perhaps you're just here today and it's been a hard week, you know. God has put you in a body so that you don't have to be alone anymore. God has brought you into a family so that you don't have to walk alone. You don't have to struggle alone. Would you come during the invitation time and tell one of your pastors about that and, and say, would you just pray for me? I need the Lord. I need his peace. I need his help. Whatever God has put on your heart, would you respond?